I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm David Kern. I'm Heidi White. And I'm Tim McIntosh. Who is coming off a Major League Baseball championship by his Atlanta Braves. So before we start this podcast, which of course is for the incurable reader, you need to give a shout out to... To Tim's Atlanta Braves, yep, because um, he owns the team. I was yep. the top of my list to do today. Yeah. By the way, oh, was yeah. it really? Yeah, just for numero uno, like lots of highlights it- right by. Congratulate Tim on his personal victory. Yeah, <laughs> as an Atlanta Braves fan, hey, Tim, do you think you're going to get sized for a ring? I probably will. Yeah. Yeah, I think the whole. I, I'm, I'm waiting for the Braves to call me. Yeah. Like, hey, can you make a paper trace of your hand? I'd be like, yeah, I made it. Gonna, <laughs> it's almost Thanksgiving. You can double it to make that little like turkey that everybody turkey makes. Thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can have yeah. turkey decorations That's and kind of size your finger for a ring in, yeah. in yeah. one in one I like time. That. Yeah. yeah, Heidi, I have to say, as an advocate of sports ball, and speaking to to you, who has maybe maybe not fully appreciated the advantages of having sports ball in your life, one of the things that sports ball people live for is the morning after when you wake up and the first thing that comes to your mind is just this warm feeling. Is that My true? Team. Like it's oh, the first thing you yes. think of as... <laughs> yeah. That's no, not sad. It is. That is really a good thing. No, listen, okay. If your team wins the chip and then the next, like for like a week, because it's very rare. It's, it's very rare. so uncommon. And then... The, I like to, what'd you say? The warm, fuzzy feeling, Tim? Mm-hmm. You're just, it's like waking up with a, you know. You just got like a sunbeam like on you. Warm heater on a cold day. And all your friends, you it's go to the like coffee shop or the grocery store. Your, when you yes. wake up the morning after your team. Everyone went, around yes. you. Just the sky, the sun is, the sun is warmer. The sky is I bluer. Think I, do yes. need more, I feel like I have so, so much sports ball in my life. I really feel you know, like Heidi, I do, but. It's I like think, vitamin D for the soul. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I had no idea. I didn't know. And this was hey, listen. Like, let's I just thought, like, like make a little plan for your life. Like, yay! And then you. Oh, and then it goes away. No, no. no that lasts you like seven years. Yes. And to say nothing about how you can brag to all of your friends who have other sports ball teams that they favor. It's just like so easy to roll into. Oh, are you guys world champions? No, that's <laughs> sorry. That's my team. My team. And, and you here's guys the are thing. Teaching me so much. The. The being on the verge of winning a championship okay. and it not happening, it, that happens so much more often and is so much more, so much, so terrible. Okay, so what's the morning after? When you that, finally like, win, this is it's my- the exact, it's the inverse of the sun being right. on, exactly. being on you. So you woke up, wake up in dark. a cold chill. It depends on how close lost. you get. Okay. The closer you, I th- tell me if you think this is correct, David. The closer it's you gonna be get, correct. the worse it hurts. It's like For if sure. you just get blown out and you kind of like make a good showing, but you, you know, in a seven game series, you lose in five or something like that. It hurts, but it's just like, you know what? The other team was better. We had a great season. It's painful, but we're going to be okay. And but last year, your team was up 3-1. I mean, I'll tell you, 
I, I hate, I don't even like to say this out loud. When the Falcons lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl and we were up 20, whatever it was, 28 yep. to 3. I remember this. It still hurts. I still have a sliver in my finger over it and I cannot get it out and I'll never so, be able to get it out. I, 2014, the Packers were up 15 nothing with like three and a half minutes left in the NFC Championship game. And they Who were going to go to the Super Bowl. The Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. And they get an interception and they could run it back for a touchdown to go up 22 to three or whatever it is. But one of the Packers defensive linemen says to the guy who intercepted it, no, just go down. We'll run the clock out. Next thing you know, they're in overtime. They lose the coin toss and they lose the game because the, a guy that was not supposed to catch the onside kick tried to catch it. The Seahawks got the ball and they scored. When you get so close, that never, that like, yeah, if you're a sports fan, I feel like it's my job to away. end this at this point because it's just, it's going to be a lot of trading Are we recording? However, my, I do have a follow-up question that is as legitimate. If you guys win, let's say you're, you're playing like a Scrabble <laughs> and then you win and you go to bed and you wake up in the morning. Do you have the same glow mm. of satisfaction at a personal no. win that you do at a sports win? No, because a sports win is about is far more about your identity and your community. It is. It's bigger than you. It's, it's bigger like, than you. That's the and first, it's way that, harder. That makes sense to me. Way I harder. Get, I win Scrabble all the time. You. I never, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, okay, way, honestly, I know way less common. Way less common. Or wake up in the morning. That was probably Freudian slip. And feel really excited <laughs> about his win. <laughs> I, I'm just so curious about your investment in this. What you said about community and something bigger than you—that makes sense to me. Look, that is you don't understand. You're not. That makes you call it sports ball. That's like enough. That's all we need to know. <laughs> okay, listen. Last thing before we start talking about <laughs> the actual book, the book, the actual book. I hope people have right? skipped ahead at this point. Heidi, you really—I mean, like your son probably likes the Broncos. Bro, I assume we have the Denver so Broncos. Much, I watch so so much sports ball. We and they won the Super Bowl a few years ago. Yep. Well, and I know all the things. I mean, like, he was like 11. It's like winning when you're like 11 to 15. Oh, perfect. It's There's just, no other time when it absolutely. This is Mormon. my husband. So, this is the Scott White with the Broncos in the 90s. And he's told me about the drive about 700 times. I like, bet. I play by, like, I know every play of the drive. Third down, four yards to go. Yeah. John, John Elway. The Packers Elway. lost Miracle when I was 12 worker. years old. Yep. To the Broncos in a game they were heavily favored in the Super Bowl, and they lost like on the final minute of the game, right? Yeah. And being twelve years old, and you when you really start to care about it, and then that when then you lose, like you're not really old enough to have actual pain in your life. Usually, most people are not. Right. You know, like some people have different traumas, but when you're twelve, that's real pain. The sports pain is <laughs> like the first time you. You learn about theosis. Okay, so Tim had one more question. Just to wrap it up, (laughs) I'm going in during the Braves championship series to get Chinese food. And I'm coming, like, as I'm going in to pick up the food, there's a guy there who's also picking up his food. Never met him before in my life. 35 years old, Braves hat on. And I'm like, what's up? You going home to watch the game? He's like, yeah. Are you going home to watch the game? Yeah. And there's just like... There's Comrade. a comrade with total strangers, and it's beautiful. This I understand. It's the waking up with a warm fuzzy versus cold, sad feeling of loss. It's because you know that you're going to have that comrade on. I believe Just you. Just try it I on, accept. Heidi. I, I, I have unconditional positive regard for this. 
I just don't. It was also real. Like, I come from my family's from Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's like eighty-five thousand people, and the teams matter so much to the daily life and and like economy of the place. So when they do well, it actually like it matters more than just like you have a warm, fuzzy. You know, like that. The economy of sport is a huge. And the economy of sport is anyway. Um, we're here too. <laughs> have you guys read this book, um, A Gathering of Old Men? Well, I, I haven't because I've been, I was watching all the World Series like uh-huh. a whole bunch this week, so I really didn't have time to to finish the book. So that's why we're just talking about this, and I, we might as well just wrap the show up. Do you want to just do this next week? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wait, we're no. here to talk about the final, the final chapters of Ernest J. Gaines's A Gathering of Old Men. Tim, before we before we officially started recording, you said in typical mild-mannered Tim fashion, guys, I really like the ending of this book. And we need to talk about why you like the ending of this book mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that in a way that's like, how can you like the ending of this book? I just mean, you, you've said that even before we started recording. So you really wanted to yeah. express that you like the ending of this book. Yeah, There was some conversation a couple of comments on the Facebook page that I saw that talked about how, you know, it's, it's not a happy ending per Mm-mm. se. Um, maybe there's no sense of hope at the end. There's a, this is a very static ending. There's a, there's a lot of stasis here at the end of this book. So I would like to posit this question to you first, Tim, and then Heidi jump in wherever you like. Um, do you like this book? Like what is the, okay. What is the ratio for you of your affection to this book and that sort of stasis that is in at the end of this book, how do you resolve the lack of hope such that you still love this book? And how much of it is because you have the warm fuzzies because the Atlanta Braves won the World Series? <laughs> right. Um, I'm going to deny a premise. I don't think it's an unhappy ending. I actually find it very hopeful. Um, part, of, part of my affections for books and part of the reasons that I find certain books dissatisfying is that I, I, more and more I realize that realism for me is a realism of solutions, I should say, is of the utmost importance to me. In a realism, so there's two ways to think about realism. One of them is it's like a literary genre. Tolstoy writes in, you know, as a realist. Mm-hmm. And that means um, he is trying to capture life as it actually is. And I find myself, and that does not mean, uh, how do I say this? Science fiction can be realism because you're dealing with like the human psyche and you're in your world building like Dune. Dune is this master classic because it's a capacity of world building. There's something so real about that created universe that people recognize it as kind of like analogous to ours. Yeah. Part of the reason that I love this book is that I do think that it is like, this is realism. Ernest J. Gaines is not sugarcoating or making an ending in which race relations are suddenly restored after, you know, 200, Mm -hmm. 300 years of Mm -hmm. bigotry and slavery and contention between whites and blacks in, um, in Louisiana. He's not pretending that because this event happened, because this, this 
group of old men stood up and said no more, that suddenly, presto, race relations are restored. And I, the structure of this book is that we don't have a single protagonist. We have a, like a group protagonist. And for me, this is something that we can talk about. Part of the reason that I esteem this book so much is that it feels like a sociology you know what I mean? It's like, it's a novel that's written almost in a method of sociology. We're seeing almost every aspect of this world through the eyes of different players. And all of them are going to have slightly different responses to the events at the conclusion of the book. Um, so I... I found it to be very, very hopeful because I think that our heroes, the, the gathering of old men, they walk away and they did what they have been longing to do their entire life. And Charlie like, does what he's been longing to do his entire life. And he suffers the price. He dies. But man, he dies, as to use his own words, as a man. And I found it tremendously hopeful. And I would actually dispute anybody who, like, I would say, like, why did you not find it hopeful? Because Charlie died? It might be because there wasn't a reconciliation necessarily across the racial lines, even within the world of the story. Like, there wasn't a movement of any of the main characters really toward each other. But I think you're bringing up such a compelling point that that the message then seems to me to be that there's a possible way to within the world of the story, there's a posited uh, Ernest J. Gaines posits a way to resist that is effective for the characters and ennobling to the characters within the world of the story. There's a comment that I went and found on Facebook. It's by Anna. And then for her, she said that she was left with a sense of sadness at the end of the book. She, and she mentioned that she thinks the book was communicated or communicated what it need to, needed to about racism, but we were never left any solutions or true hope. Um, you know, and she, the way she put it was she was hungry for the gospel to be in the characters' lives. And I don't know that, you know, that that's, that's a way that um, Gaines probably was you know, right. not actually that trying to do that to be at all a, a preoccupation but of the story. The notion of sadness, you know, you, Tim, do you think that, would you agree that there was a sense of sadness at the end of the book? Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So that, so I just want to make sure, you know, on our terms here that we're, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I was profoundly sad when Charlie fell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, I really wanted him to live at the end and like, be able to stand up in court and like have his day. But the, the kind of that turn of his character after a generation of just taking it mm -hmm. to say no more. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I mean, so, so satisfying, so satisfying. Speaking of satisfying, one of the things that I was kind of looking out for as I was reading the ending is was the mystery at the core of the book that was we were led to believe through most of the book that it was Matthew? Um, was that mystery revealed and then resolved satisfactorily for you? 
Heidi, what do you think about that? I think, yes. Um, I think there were threads that I wish had been explored a little more fully. For example, Gil, I thought that just kind of Mm -hmm. petered out and Mm -hmm. I wasn't satisfied with that. And also Fix's choice not to get involved was not well explained to me. I didn't feel like that was satisfactorily resolved, but the main plot line, like what you brought up about the mystery of what happened that day, um, there was, I thought that was beautifully satisfying in a very, with so, so much, as Tim pointed out, so much pathos. And again, to the, um, what you what you said, Tim, I wanted to echo Charlie's repeated statements of that he's a man, that I am a man. Mm-hmm. Like that was so satisfying and, I, and so moving, it had so much pathos in it. I think partly because of the weight of the um, the racial divide that then was put on him within the story. And then like that, him having to carry the, that. And then also another thing that was very moving to me about it was the emphasis on his size and strength and yet his feeling yeah. that he wasn't a man. Yeah. Because that mm. is typically what's so connected to the identity of manhood, right? How big are you? How strong are you? How fast are you? How much can you work? How right? So in every way, he fulfills that, um, and yet he doesn't feel like a man. Like that mm-hmm. was just so mm-hmm. moving to me, and so just that, yeah, that um, the juxtaposition of those two things that he bore the weight of in the story, and the twist that took us there. So it, it did end up being surprising that he was the one you, responsible. Yeah. Although there, I think there were enough clues. There was a couple times he was mentioned as being there that I was like, well, maybe it was him because nobody's talking about this yeah. Charlie guy. Like, yeah. so I, it wasn't that I didn't see it coming. It was that he was so beautifully drawn as a character and so unexpected as a character that it was like very, very moving and satisfying to me. And a lot of his um, inner journey, mm-hmm. if you will, happens sort of off stage. Right. So he has been mm-hmm. not processing what he was going through with us. So then he comes back and emerges as this character who has gone through something really profound off the sort off the page, and <clears throat> and it seems like part of that is what the, the gathering itself seems to have. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the gathering that happened in his absence seems to have been part of that profound inner journey that he was going through that then allowed him to act in the fashion that he did at the end of the book. Did you find it so satisfying, yeah, his character David, is, that ending? The yeah. ending? Yeah. What was your response to it? Yeah. Yeah. I th- I, I, when I, it, the ending felt right. Mm. Um, I did have questions that you mentioned some threads that I wanted to ask about fix is one Gil is one and the mysterious stranger in the bar mm-hmm. is another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's these three character threads that we get one moment essentially with each of them. We're told that, you know, Gil has a good game um, the next day. Um, but yeah, we're left, left a little bit. Um, empty mm. on, on those. I don't mean like emotionally empty. We're just unsure of what to make of those. So while I would, well, in that choice, well, I was going to say, what, why do you think he does that? Because I think I don't find that unsatisfactory. Uh-huh. Like I didn't come away from that feeling like, I don't know the answer to these things. So it's like, 
the pathos of the story is lacking. Like it, everything felt right. But then when you step back and you look at some of the choices he makes, you say, well, I, I wish I knew more about what was going on here. So then given that, why do you think he leaves us? Because that, you know, good authors don't just like abandon threads and right. forget about them by accident and still get published. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, what, so what's, your, what's your take on why he does so, that? So Gil shows up after the death of his brother, goes to his father. And by the way, even though this wasn't the climax of the story, this might've been for me the most powerful scene in the whole book. The showdown between Gil and his father was incredible, incredible. And Gil makes this moving case to the person that he, to his family, to the people that he loves the most, to the people who have raised him, to his father, who he clearly, despite his father's failings, deep failings, there's still an affection for his father um, and a deep respect for his father. And he puts it all on the line mm -hmm. to his dad and his dad like says, I never want to see you again. It's over. And for me, what more, how do I say this? What more can Guild do? Like this is, this is like, he goes into the cave and he faces the dragon and the dragon throws him out. Um, and so it might feel for a moment that Gil has lost, that he didn't get what he wanted and what he wanted would have been um, for Fix, his father to say, you know what? I see what you're saying. My mind has changed. My heart has changed. You're right. I finally see the light. That cannot happen for Fix. There's just no way that can happen for Fix. So Gil does the very best that he can, and he walks away having done the best that he can. And he goes and he gets into, he plays a game, but the game is so much more significant. than it's not a sports ball game. It's a clearly representation of the changing mores of the South. He's in a black and white backfield and they have a great game together. Like that is a huge moment and it happens off screen and we're reported about it after the fact. But I just think that is, um, that's really, that's a, it's a really powerful moment. I, I think there's something that I think we all want in that showdown between Gil and his dad is we want his dad to see the light, you know? And I think in some ways it would be a very, it could be satisfying for his father to say, you know what? I see it now. Finally, after all these years, I see it now. But I also think it would be, it would be sweet on the tongue for 30 seconds. And it would leave that saccharine feeling afterwards. Cause it would not be true. I just can't see that fix would ever say that after having lost a son and after having the way that he has like belittled and abused the black community that he had power over, I just can't see him saying, gosh, Gil, yeah, now I see it. It can't happen. But then the interesting thing is that Gil kind of, he de-escalates a potential confrontation by not he going does. along with his family. Yeah, he does. So if Fix decides, Fix does do what his son asks him to do. Gil asks him to not go and in, his, and in refusing to go with him, he 
forces his father's hand, if you will, however you yeah. put it. So he, they, the result, you know, the result that is, he wants is what happens, but then that's the end of their relationship. And so Gil becomes this sort of like, <clears throat> he almost be, he almost like, it's interesting the degree to which he loses something in the story. I, I thought that was pretty interesting, especially. I wasn't sure that was really clear though. Like there's, and you're, you're probably right about that, but it wasn't, we're not told anything other than that he played the game, right? We're not told that there's a permanent break in their relationship because Fix ends up not going. And so I think I just- Well, doesn't wish, Fix tell him he doesn't want to see him anymore? Yes, but then Fix decides not to go. And so I, I think you're right. Like there was, the last that we saw of them was the break in their relationship. Fix saying, essentially, we are going to go, get on board or get off the bus forever. And Gil, then the last sight we have is Gil thinking about it and, um, and devastated. And, um, and I, I agree so, so much with everything you said to him. Here's what would not be satisfying. Fix gets like fixed, yeah. right? That's yeah, totally, right. that's not realistic. It right. doesn't work in the story. That's a terrible idea. Um, I wish we had had more. There, there was such a beautiful development of both of those characters. And you're, I completely agree with you about the confrontation between those two characters. The, the message that I got at the end of the novel about those characters, about Candy, about Fix, and about Gil is this. Everything works out for the white characters, period. Mm. The mm. end of the white characters. Right? And that, like, Gil went to his game. Fix didn't go, the right people died, period. And now, uh, and, and that to me doesn't seem either realistic to your point about realism, Tim, or satisfying. What doesn't? The fact that there was just a period at the end of all of that character development. There was so, so much about the pathos, about that relationship between Fix and Gil, and there was no payoff as to what happened to them. And whether so wait, I don't need that... it to be happy, I just wanted to know something that happened. Mm. Like, I don't care if it's happy or not. In fact, it's way better if there's sadness in it, right? Because then what we have in the story is we're still left with a giant racial divide and personal problems because these people didn't fully invest in the healing, right? And so even the, and, and or at least, or actively resisted the opportunity to heal. And, and so I wish, I just wish I knew more. I feel like we, we ended with our gathering of old men and the majority of the black characters, like in this, pro, like mired still in this, like, issue of oppression and divide and, and injustice. And then we have the white characters with a neat little bow at the end of all of their storylines. Either the right people are dead and then the rest of the people get to go on with their lives. And I wish there was more there. I think, I hear you. I wish that we had, I wish that there was an occasion for, for Gil to step back on stage. Um, because I so respected him. 
Right. And he's I mean, so I complex. I really respected him. Caught between yes, these com- right. And probably the one of the characters that the three of us are going to relate to most, right? So that might just yeah. be what I'm saying. It's like, I, this is the character that becomes the vessel for my soul in this story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And so I want to know then what happens to him. And he's so well drawn. And all these other characters, we kind of get to see a little more of what happens with mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. And what this costs them. I wish it had cost him... Um, I wish we had been able to see him wrestle through the cost of trying to be a moral man in this mess as a white man. Yeah. Well, for me, Heidi, for me, I take it that he and his dad never speak again. I just take that as like, that's the end of the story. I, you know, I hope that there might be reconciliation, but I think when Fix says, turn your back, I never want to see you again. I'm like, Okay. You took it at face. That's what happens to that family. Yeah. I took it at face value. I mean, maybe there's some deathbed scene that happens 30 years later. I can imagine that, Mm -hmm. but I think that's the end of that story. And I think it cost Gil. I mean, like it's so easy to disregard Fix's family because he's such a rabid racist as not being of Right, like not worth tremendous choosing, importance. Yeah. Yes, yes. But right. man, forgive. That would be Oh, unfair. it hurts yes. so bad. Yes. I think that the story of Gil is that his and the evil of Fix is that Fix forces forces his child to make a choice between people. Right. Because he's saying these people are of value and these people are not. Like the greatest, almost like could he have done a greater? I mean, he could have gone out and there could have been a. He could have, I mean, basically there was the violence that he was going to bring anyway, right? Mm-hmm, it just was brought mm-hmm. by somebody else. Um, but he, like, he could, he commits a great evil by by basically pitting people against one another and Agreed. forcing his son to choose. And I think that's his role. Like, that's kind of what his role in the story is. And Gil's forced to make a choice, and Gil makes the choice that he makes, and the choice that he makes is to 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 play with his running mate in the backfield. I think that's I think that's why we that's our resolution for Gil. Um, he makes the choice of running, playing with his running mate, pursuing greatness there, and standing up for what he believes is right instead of siding with his family. And I think that I can't imagine that that's something that Fix forgives. Like that, right. I just think what, based on what we know about him, what has been presented mm-hmm. about him, that's not something he can forgive. So right. I can understand Agreed. where you're coming from, Heidi. But I, I think I think we. I think we get, you know, it's like Keats's meaning through negation thing. I think that we're meant to know what we need to know about Gil based on, based on what we're given. But I can also understand what you're, where you're coming from. Yeah, I just so, found it unsatisfying, which doesn't mean I don't. Yeah. Get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not yeah. saying yeah, things I'm not can be unsatisfying and still good. Written. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying I found, if the question is satisfying, everything except that was to me mm-hmm. and I do think that like we're given a certain sort of like per- set of parameters for this story the story is called the gathering of old men and ultimately the story is about their the gathering of fallout right. from it and so you know he, he gives us a, a very particular scope mm-hmm. um, so I've got three questions that I want to present about this, the ending to this book um, related to what we're talking about one do we think justice is served? Two, what do we make of the book ending with, of all characters, Lou Dimes? Yeah, yeah. 
And then um, three, what's with the laughter? This emphasis on the laughter in the courtroom when Mapes tells his story. Tim, you get to choose which one of those we talk about first. So what do we make of the ending of Lou Dimes? Is justice served? And what's with all the laughter at the end? I really want to talk about is justice served? Because I think it's the most complicated question. Um, But I wonder if we could say that because we might run out of time as far as I'm concerned. I was really curious yeah. also about the laughter. And we do have the Q&A next week. Yeah. I was curious about the laughter when Mapes tells his story about, I'd miss that. I was like, wait, why is everybody laughing? Did you guys understand why it was so funny to the courtroom? I, I took it. Well, what do you think, Heidi? Um, I, I thought two things. One, that it kind of underlines the difference between what's at stake for the black characters versus what's at stake for the white characters. Um, Meaning this is a stand to the death for these black men. They're taking a risk that's so, so big. Right. And then in the courtroom, then there's this like funny moment about the lack of dignity about the white cop who's there. Right. Like, so um, that's what it kind of comes down to on that side Um, versus how big of a deal that was for these men to gather together to stand for their friend. I thought that's one of them. And then the other thing was that question of dignity um, and how we get to, you know, there's this need, I think, also to like make it as make light of the gravity of the situation on the part of the white people there. Like they have the luxury in a sense of being able to do that, just like laugh at the cop. Right. Um, And so there was that, that kind of um, the difference between the two sides and what was at stake for them was part of it. And then, yeah, Mapes just being, ridiculous and embarrassed about how ineffectual he was, which he was actually kind of ineffectual in that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that highlighted it. And everybody saw that instead of him getting to be the hero, he's ridiculous. And so in a sense, I think that goes back to the question of justice, because I think that's actually a pretty just way of dealing with his inability, like his inaction during that whole situation. Tim, do you agree with that? Yeah. yeah. There's probably more to it. Yeah. That's what I noticed. But it, it, was everybody laughing though? I don't remember. I think, didn't he just say like the courtroom laughed? Yeah, they, and it's basically they laughed all day, and he was red the whole time. Yeah, right. right. That's somebody who's like more familiar with like late seventies Louisiana. I think would say, "Here's what's happening. There's something else happening here. Maybe." If yeah, I mean, it, there does seem to be. You know, he gets shot early on in the the shootout. And as he said, he's basically like, I was, I was on the path. I got shot, got taken out. Um, I thought he was going to die. Yeah, me the way, too. The way it was presenting him because he's not talking. You know, he's mm-hmm. not responding to people. Mm-hmm. And then he'll kind of say something and he's getting weaker. And in the end, he survives. But it does sort of show that there is, going to this justice question, it does sort of show that the law does become a little ineffectual in this moment. It gets, yes, the law gets shot down right away. And then you've yeah. got... Two sets of and just ends up untrained, being yeah. Um, 
And maybe that's part of the reason why our concluding chapter is not really written by any of the participants, but written by Lou Dimes. I mean, it's not as if Lou Dimes is not a participant, but think about it. He's a journalist. Yeah. His job is to report. Yeah. He gets pulled into, he gets kind of deputized, you know, that's true at the end of the shootout or in the middle of the shootout. And so he has to take a stand and he does take a stand. Um, but he's kind of taking a stand like on the side of maybe like law and order or something like that. Well, there's that moment where they're all shooting at each other and he's just waving his arms. Stop. Everybody stop. Right. Right. So, I mean, ineffectually, I really respect Lou Dimes is, um, I had a lot of sympathy with his stance as a character. Um, but I feel like he could not at the end of the book, our author would not allow him to remain neutral, just a reporter. He had to get pulled in. And so I wonder if that's part of the reason why he gets kind of the closing. It's, it, it, it would seem kind of a coda. if we had one of the black characters able to give the coda, but I think part of him giving, first off, I think it's really interesting that a black author gave the final word to a white character. I mean, I, I would just like. I think it goes I, to the realism though, right? Because the reporter is the one who, he reports on the game and he reports on the courtroom. Yes. And he, Gaines knows that that would probably not have been a, a it would have been very difficult for a black man to have that role in a, mm-hmm. in a newspaper in that time. I mean, there were certainly black, black reporters going back much earlier than this, but in the South in particular, it would have been very difficult. Um, and even to this, to this day, you can, there's lots of books about the role of the role and, and persecution of black members of the media mm-hmm. in the mid middle, middle part of the last century. Um, go ahead, Heidi, what were you going to say? Yeah, I think that it is important that it ends with, Lou's voice. And Lou, actually, he does have the benefit. He's a good character for for Ernest Gaines to create because he does have a level of a, a real reason to be there because of his relationship with Candy um, and a personal investment in what happens, but only a personal investment in what happens, meaning he doesn't have a dog in the fight of the issue of what happened to Bo. Um, and he's relatively impartial. And when he's not impartial, Ernest Gaines is careful to make that, I think, really clear in the text so that we can be impartial as best as we can um, in reading a novel like this. So I I think it's actually a good decision and a literary level as as well as all of these kind of thematic things we're talking about, too. And, And I think the little, the very conclusion, Candy squeezes his hand at the end. I think that's just such a promising note to end on, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's their romance is nowhere central to the kernel of this book, the main themes of this book, but I but still it's not think, incidental. Yeah. It's not incidental. And I think that it's, it was really gratifying. They're like, well, oh, yeah. right. Cause Candy's been just like, whether, what, regardless of what you think about her, she's like, no, she shows no like tenderness yeah, throughout the story, yeah, like she's right. just like a wall of you know she an implacable him. wall, um, and so it was nice to see like a moment of femininity and a moment of tenderness mm-hmm, and a moment mm-hmm. of relational connection. Because that that when she does that, that happens in which chapter? That's the final chapter, right? Yeah, 
Lou, you mean when she squeezes his hand? Yeah. Yeah, very final, like last line. Yeah, because in the previous chapter that we've had Lou speak is when she slaps him, and he for like a second almost smacks her back and then mercifully has some self-control because, man, if he had hit her... Low point. (laughs) Yeah. It's already a bad moment, but if he hits her, you don't like... uh, We can't ever come back from that as, like, readers. Yeah. You know, we're told everything, but the fact that he does have some self-control, I mean, we've... Even in the seventies, right when mm-hmm. just the cultural, the way we talked about things like that was not as mm-hmm. positive as right now. Right. Um, but then, yeah, that the, he says to her, like, "I need to know what's going to happen with our relationship," and then she smacks him, mm-hmm. and he doesn't smack her back. And you know, we, I just at that point, I was like, "Well, that's probably how we're going to get." So when she does reach over, like, some there is yeah. some hope there for them. They've come through it, you know, some somewhat. Right. Healthily, I suppose. Can we talk about whether or not like we get justice in the end? Yeah, we got we need to. I'm gonna make the case that um we do. I think given the parameters of the book, the kind of imagined world that we walked into on page one, I found this our author like at his most masterful on this question. So as I see it, here are the potential problems. Um, If the white legal structure um, takes Matthew to jail or even Charlie to jail, there's something really dissatisfying. It's the same thing that we've seen for generations and generations, right? Um, Black characters get tried and put down. And white characters, you know, they actually get a fair trial. Okay, anyway. Um, so we can't have that ending. We can't have the ending where Fix shows up. And I think this is what's really crucial. So much of what I wanted in this book was for Fix to show up and for the old men to finally face him down and for Fix to die. I mean, there's something like, there's a little bit of bloodlust in me that wanted that to happen. And I don't think that would be just, it may have been sort of like deserving in a way because of what Fix has done during his life. Yeah. But what we do is we just create, now we're in a revenge cycle. And the revenge cycle is like, how do you stop a revenge cycle? It just. That's what all the pretty horses was all about. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, it is so hard to stop a revenge cycle. And so I don't, in some ways that would be satisfying because you get an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but it would not have been moving the situation forward, like socially and culturally, it wouldn't have been. So what do you get instead? Okay. I think if there's a theme, I don't know if this is like a, I think what Mapes says to the gathering of old men about their dissatisfaction about not being able to kill Fix is so profound that I wanted to read it. For me, it starts on page 170. So, Klaatu is kind of like the spokesperson for the gathering of old men. Like, we want Fix to show up. Finally, we're going to have yep. our revenge. We're finally here, Right. And I mean, I wanted that, but I think that 
Mapes has like a really profound insight here, and I'll read it beginning on 170 going to 171. Because you see, me, you, and all the rest of them was thinking about Fix, fix 30 years ago. 30 years ago, Fix would have been here, would have hanged Matthew on the nearest tree, and all the rest of you brave people would have still been hiding under the bed. But something happened the last 10, 15 years. Salt and pepper got together, salt and pepper got together. Now it's nobody's fault but yours, Mape says, looking around at us. Nobody's fault but yours. You did it. Y'all did it. Y'all wasn't satisfied. Salt played at LSU on one side of town and Peppa played for Southern on the other side of town. No, y'all wanted them to play together. Y'all prayed and prayed and prayed for them to play together. Well, they did. And that's what happened. Salt went back and talked to his daddy. Gil, that white boy who stopped by here. That's Salt. Y'all know him. You've seen him on television enough. Went back and told his daddy he needed Pepper and Pepper needed him. Told his daddy that he wouldn't go along with his daddy to lynch Mathieu. Told his daddy even in the name of Botan, if the name of Botan got in the papers, he would never be an All-American. But y'all's the one did it, Mape said. He was moving around the yard. He was looking us all in the face. Stop a second and look at one and then move. Stop and look at another one. Y'all the one. You cut your own throats. You told God you wanted salt and pepper to get together, and God did it for you. At the same time, you wanted God to keep fix the way fix was 30 years ago. So one day, you would get a chance to shoot him. Well, God couldn't do both. Not that he likes fix, but he thought the other side was better. Salt and pepper. Well, which do you want? salt and pepper to play together or do you want God to keep fixed the way he was 30 years ago so you would have a chance to shoot him well make up your mind I'm sure God's just sitting there waiting this is such good I just, like, even I foreshadowing from unbelievable I just think that was like when I read that I was just chilled because Mapes has like in this very rudimentary way he has kind of like a recognition I think that what the what the gathering of old men wants is is it's just going to perpetuate something that they hate and what they really want like on a deeper level and the only thing that's going to like bring louisiana together is salt and pepper in the same backfield unity yeah. not division yeah unity not the revenge cycle Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Working together for something. Yeah. Yeah. That matters to the community. And that that's going to change. I thought that what he said about uh, in this speech uh, um, about fix was so powerful. I totally agree with you that when he said um, you wanted God to keep fix the way fix was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So one day you'd get a chance to shoot him. Well, God couldn't do both. Mm-hmm. He's saying that the generational cycle then is broken by one man like Gil taking a stand. Yes. And then that can't help but change the generation before so that they're not the same forever. And then, and through that, then vengeance is, is the the revenge cycle is broken. What he's not saying, and I think this is really important to clarify, what he's not saying is stand down boys Right. Right. He's not saying this is your fault. You brought this on yourselves. You guys stand down and make way for the white people to fix this. 
He's mm-hmm. saying like through this unity, through salt and pepper and through you being willing to take a stand, right? Also at the same time, then that's going to change. It will, uh, it will ontologically change the generation before and stop them so that then this generation can do their work, um, which is true, although it doesn't make fix a good guy to your point that you right. pointed out earlier. That right. doesn't mean right. fix is less racist. It doesn't mean he's good now. It just means we've, <laughs> as, I think it means he's been diminished. Best, right. Yeah. Well, and it's my, my best friend says a sacrifice is when you give something up for something, something up that you love for something that you love more. Mm-hmm. Right. So Fix is now forced to have to sacrifice sacrifice this old way he loves for the sake of hopefully something that he loves more, which right now isn't anything necessarily good. It's not like he does it for the sake of relationship with Gil. He does it so Gil could be an all-American, right? Mm-hmm. Which that's not necessarily a noble goal. But at the same time, it it does break the cycle. Well, Fix, In I don't even think way. he cares about that at this point. He, wait, I mean, he does that. The, so. I think I don't You've think been right about if he had I've been wrong. Well, I just think <laughs> if he had said, if he had said, I want to be an all American. I don't think that that convinces fix to stand down. I think when he says this name will be, won't be in the papers as an all American. That's when it convinces him. Cause for right. fix, it's not his son. It's this yes. grand notion of, you're, you're he's not committed to his boy. He's committed to this, the name of his yeah. family, right? And the but name of his family is superior. Is well, right? Is that's what I was gonna say. Is superior to the other families, white and black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's an honor notion to me. Right. Yeah. And what Gil is why the reason he's upset with Gil is not because is that he doesn't that, that Gil sacrifices. You know, Gil is willing to sacrifice his relationship with the family for what he believes in. Um, and I do think Gil also has like, and that by definition changes fix. That's what Mapes is saying is that it doesn't make fix a better man, but it changes the game and in the public square. And that Mm -hmm. is worth doing. That's what, um, you know, that's what we're taking from it. Although Mapes is saying this, you're cutting. And I do think that what Mapes is saying is that, if God has changed fix, it's he's, he's, he has made him less, you know, fix is not just running out anymore. And, and that's because he's old. I think. I think it's one all, of the it's is, also, I mean, I think it's what Heidi said. The game changed. The game is now changed. By fix a literal cannot game. do that anymore. Salt and pepper in a game. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the right. Power right. Of sports ball. You know what? This it's actually come full circle. <laughs> full circle. I'm convinced. I, and Actually, I truly am. I would say that in a joking way, but it is sports that has made a huge impact Jackie Robinson? on racial reconciliation as far as right, it's gone right. in this country. Sports has been a huge part of that. But I think it's, I think we do have to say, you know, like I was talking about how in Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers are more than the team that the fans root for. It's like, the city probably would not be there and it certainly wouldn't have the companies that it does there without that team being there for 102 years now or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so these teams, especially these college football teams and high school football teams, like in Texas, small towns in Texas and stuff, they're one of the things that hold the fabric of the town together. And here they play this key role in racial reconciliation. But I think Heidi, you just said, you made an interesting or important comment 
interesting and important. He said, such as it has gone so far. Right. And this isn't a book that says that because salt and pepper are together, everything has been resolved. You know, the reason this book ends with stasis is because there may have been some improvements. It's a comment. Yeah. But we're not where we need to be yet. And then this is a book that was written in the 80s, right? Early 80s, late 70s, something like that. And here we are in 2021, almost 2022. And that's not something that's like that it was to, to this. We're still not resolved. Right. Right. You know, there's black men and white men can play sports together and it not be something that gets commented on anymore. Like that has been, that's like just normalized. Like that's, that's, it's one of the places where race, you know, the locker room in theory is supposed to be one of the places where in 2020 to, Race doesn't matter. That's what they say, right? David, can I? And I yet, just, ellipsis, Tim, go now. Well, I just, this is a personal issue for me. My dad played basketball at UCLA. Yeah. He won two national championships with UCLA. They were, you know, the best team. They won a, they won a string of championships and they're kind of like widely considered like, this was the beginning of the UCLA dynasty. My dad's roommate was a man named Kenny Washington, a black man. And they were the first, this is 1963. This is not that long ago. They were the first black and white roommates in Division I college basketball. Like, wow. And the impact of having a national championship team kind of like break down that barrier, like you said, David, kind of inside the locker room, is it's, it's really, to say it, obviously, it's really profound and I think that Ernest J. Gaines kind of recognizes that this in the real world, this is really what did, what changed so many people's opinions about race relations. Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron, Hank Aaron, like beating an African-American baseball player, toppling the biggest. Yeah, Babe Ruth. Yeah. Toppling Babe Ruth, a white baseball player. You know, these are the things that actually change perceptions. And I think that having a football game with these fictional characters, black and white running backs in the same backfield, I think it's just, it's a very um, insight about like the nature of America and, you know, race relations in America. And even to this day though, you take sports out of the picture and there's this, depending on where you live and depending on who you are and all that, like there's still so many, I don't, problems. What? Mm. Right, right. Racial well, issues, and still so the, much prejudice and injustice. Yes, and, exactly. And sports is one of the few places where, you know, there's less of it than other places. It's not, and it's not gone, even in sports. Right. I think one of the things that I appreciate so much about this book is that it is so easy to tip into nihilism about race relations. It's always been here. It's always going to be the same. No progress has been made. And, and nobody's like saying that on the show. But I think part of the public discussion, that kind of specter is looming in the background. And to have an African-American author writing a book that to me seems so genuinely hopeful, at the same time, so realistic. Real, realistic. Yeah, sure. It is real. Right. It's honest. It's hopeful and honest yes. at the same time. Yes. I just think that's a triumph. That's a triumph. What were you going to say, Heidi? Agreed. Yeah, I I was going to say I also appreciated a lot that the 
that it wasn't heavy handed on the, um, I don't want to say heavy handed on the hope, but I think it did a beautiful job of naming what continues to be across the generations, a very relevant issue. And it is literature because I am a white woman. I will say it is literature that has taught me this, Mm. right? Reading the stories. This is when right now in the public square, everyone's saying, educate yourself, right? Um, And it is reading these books like this that communicate to me we are writing the same books now that we wrote in the seventies, that we wrote in the forties, that we wrote in the twenties, that we wrote all the way back to the civil war. And before like, this is a, an, a massive um, fault line in American culture and books like this continue to be relevant and to name the problem and to help us understand and have compassion on people, on all kinds of people who are, who are in this problem. And I love that the book was not heavy handed on, well, this is what you got to do to fix it. I loved that because it's Mm -hmm. complex and we're talking about humans, not ideology. And I think novels do that so important because it's really tempting to pick a side, right? I, I'm going to stand on this side of a political ideology, right? And, or that side, but Books continue to remind me that it is a human problem. This is about people, not about ideology. And and this book does a beautiful job of that. And and in saying, like it is a it is guns also in this book. It is a violent. There there is violence in this book. And there is the fact that in order to take a stand, there's guns involved, right? But at the same time, what actually does some kind of reconciliatory work? It takes place on the football field, right? Mm -hmm. And so it allows it to be complicated. It doesn't overly stress, here's the solution to this. And but it also, as you said, Tim, brings a sense of hope and reminds us that this is personal and human, not ideological. Mm -hmm. And to that human point, I think one of the great things about this book is that Gaines gives these old men the opportunity to have a voice and to stand up for themselves in a way that they never did before. And to like, it takes, I think the book seems to be taking at face value that what they did was honorable. Like, I, I think yeah, Gaines I think so. seems to have respect yep. for the actions that these men took. And Mapes comes around to that too. And Lou Dimes does as well, I think. Um, and I to some degree, I guess the court maybe does as well. And the whole town, um, yeah, the whole community. Because of the way that to... the jury. Um, so it, it's on the one hand, it can you know all this, all this is true, and yet at the same time, it's about it's a it's a human book about men who who have endured a great deal of injustice, and who whose families have endured injustice, and whose community has endured injustice, and who stand up for themselves in a way that enables them to be proud of what they're doing for the first time. And that's mm-hmm. ultimately like, it's a book about a gathering of men who stand up for themselves and all the rest of it is kind of like, or seems to be surrounding that. Like you have these big cultural notions surrounding the individual stories of men, of humans, of characters who, who are able to be proud of themselves um, in a way that is really, it's just full of a lot of pathos. And I don't mean proud, like in a negative way, just like have mm-hmm. take pride in the stand that they took together. Um, and then we, and of course that, that's, that's most seen in, in Charlie, um, but in all of them. Um, and that's why they get the, at the end of the book, they get in the car together. Mm. You know, we've done this, we have stood up. 
we have survived that. And now we can take pride in that, that we can get in this truck, we can drive back together. I imagine them going back to Matthew's house or back to somebody, you know, back to Marshall somewhere, sit on a porch together, smoking, drinking some sweet tea, maybe something a little hard or something like that. And probably sitting there quietly, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe someone starts mm-hmm. to sing or something, but they get in that truck and they can take pride in, Absolutely. in what they did as, as individual humans. And I think yeah. the book that the book gives them that is really profound. Yeah. 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 That's a good word. Yeah. Okay. Final thoughts. Let's wrap this up. Um, we'll do our Q and a next week. After that, we're going to do the first three chapters of another Southern book that takes place in Louisiana. Um, Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. Um, so we'll do the first three chapters, but that will be, that will first air on November. Those episodes will drop November 19th. So next week, November 12th, we'll have our Q and A. So be sure to post your questions um, on the Facebook page or email them to david at goldberrybooks.com. Okay. Tim, final thoughts. I just, I love this book. And it's one of these books that I'm so grateful for close reads. I don't know that I would have picked this book up on my own. You know, like I, I, if one of you recommended it to me, I think I would have, but I struggled in the first third of this book. The multiple perspectives were just a grind for me. That's a little bit of like a reading preference. I just kind of struggle with books that are structured in the way this book is structured, but I'm so grateful that I kind of had, um, the responsibility of reading this book all the way through because man, I just found this, the book to be so gratifying. Mm -hmm. Heidi? I think it behooves me to say David was right about everything that he predicted about the end of the book and Tim and I were wrong. And that's my final thought. Was I? Really? Really? What did I say? Yeah, because we, well, (laughs) you said it was going to be Luke will and not fix. And you were totally right. And then, and then I was like, it's going to be like, Gil's going to have like this big role in the showdown. And then he had like no role in the showdown. I even he convinced did. him. The big, the big to showdown predict. with Ole Miss. Um, Galen, I, I mean, point. <laughs> um, Heidi, I don't think that's true. I think he had, I think Gil had a huge role in the showdown. He just wasn't. Well, I thought he was going to be there. Yeah. Oh, well, that's oh, true. Oh, oh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I thought he was going to choose wrong and that he was going to show up and that he was going to get killed. And, yeah. you know, like, so not that it, I mean, and we all said, we are prepared for anything. This I just thought Luke Will was chaotic ending. evil. <laughs> you did. You totally did. And yeah. I was like, no, it's Spot fixed. On. Like he's right. Always, so anyway, always go with the unpredictable say, evil. <laughs> I like to be told when I'm right. I like people to notice. And so I'm noticing. I'm just saying, I'm just paying attention. Hmm. Well, thanks, Heidi. Yeah. Well done, David. Broken clock and so forth. Uh, that was okay. what it was. <laughs> So now that Heidi, uh, um, Heidi just, uh, can you do that again? Can you, can you make just that little mocking voice again? Nope. Just one more time. I can't, I can't, I mean, I can't just like mock on demand. And Tim, it has to be in the and Tim just called, uh, Tim, Tim just Me, called you the wrong name. name. Yeah. I know. Yep. I know. Galen, well, we love you. She, yeah. She got a shout out on, on the podcast there. That's okay. Right. Well, with that, Tim's probably gonna go text Galen or call Galen or something. So. <laughs> you won't believe what I just did on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for Heidi White and for Tim McIntosh, I'm David Kern. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, happy reading.
Hello and welcome to The Close Reads. This is a podcast for the incurable reader and final episode of A Gathering of Old Men. And we're gonna we're gonna discuss death and court trials and complicated systemic racism. Yeah. 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 So good to be here. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.